0: Unlike David, I'd never been much for wilderness excursions, but I'm intimately familiar with caves, those pitch black places of the soul where no light falls, knife like, to carve a human path. Instead, I'm left to stumble forward, nerves and muscles clenching at the skitter of rats and the otherworldly screech of bats passing through. Bone-tired and hungry, I want for water. Until you come, bringing your eternal spring Offering your body as the one meal I never knew I needed. And suddenly, deep down in the darkness, your brightness breaks through. Illuminating a path to the surface. I meet widows on the way. Orphans and many others poor as me. And as we slowly ascend... I share the bread and water you provided.
1: A reading from Psalms uh, chapter 68, verses 4 through 6. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. The word of the Lord. This is our dear friend, Jen O'Farrell. She and her husband are busy taking Riverside hostage to the, to the purposes of Jesus, redemptively, in both equally powerful ways. Um, they didn't give me exactly some notes, but I do know you are the executive director. I'm wondering, is it for the Indian Empire? Scary, yes, for big brothers and big sisters. Right, for big brothers and big sisters, yes. And you've been doing this for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. about three? Yes,
2: you memory, good. Well, I, I make it up Facebook as tells I go. Face has a alive. <laughs>
1: And so we are really grateful to um, Pastor Jeff for asking Jen to come and share. Every time she shares, um, I'm not only blessed, but I'm inspired anew. Uh, My heart especially resonates with big brothers and big sisters, because I come from a background of numerous foster homes and three adoptions. So I know what it's like to need uh, caring and loving adults in our lives who can point us in the right way. So we are really blessed to have Jen here, and I thought I'd pray over you right before you start, okay? Join me. Father God, what a lovely sister we have here, and what a faithful servant of yours. We are grateful for the countless ways she daily walks with you and makes the necessary sacrifices, and offers the necessary service so that those who are needing your attention, care, and love can receive it from those of us who know you. Bless us and especially bless her as she shares this morning with us. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen.
2: Amen. Well, when... um Pastor Jeff asked me to come and share. I was like, "Are you sure? Um, I feel like my 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 life is just a, probably more in chaos than I think anything." else. And so I thought I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "He's like, I don't lie when I pray. When I say I pray." And so he's like, "I prayed, and your name came up." And so I feel honored to be invited to your family this morning, and honored to um, I think share a little bit. He had asked me I think in in the lens of which I do every day is about um, mentoring youth um, to talk a little bit about that and to share a little bit about his stories and to um, kind of, I think, um, bring to mind what what he feels like God wants me to lead in this this morning. And so when I was thinking about mentoring, um, it's really about relationships. And so um, if I may, I feel like in, in a very relational way, it makes sense for you to know a little bit more about me because... This is what we, we do and it feels um, I know some faces in the room, but I don't know know everybody's and so in order I feel like for us to share this morning I'd love to share a little bit about myself so that you have a better understanding of, of where I'm coming from so that we can um, go forward in discussion, conversation and and hopefully walk away inspired, challenged and and renewed. Um So I'm the daughter of Mark and Sharon. Um, I've grown up in Riverside for the majority of my life, minus like four years of my life. Um, I'm the wife to Damien for 15 years this December, um, and the mom to Marley, who is three. And unfortunately, they are both ill, um, and so this is why they are not, because I told them, please don't contaminate all of us and just stay within our home. Um, I'm the executive director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Inland Empire, we're about mentoring at-risk youth and changing futures. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm just Jen. I'm Jen that, um, as a kid, dreamt about being a cardiovascular surgeon. Yeah. And so when I was a kid, um, there would be lizards and, and um, frogs that would fall and, and have their unfortunate fate into my parents' pool. And it would pull them out, and it would take them to the garage, or which I deemed as the examination room. But it was really, I think in all reality, my parents' only place that they said, this is where this activity can take place into. Um, but they were great, and they allowed me. So I had my examination room, and I felt like I was probably, it was before the days of CSI, but I felt like uh, that would have been the career for me, would, be a, would have been CSI. But I would open them up do all the little like labeling, see how their heart, see how everything connected together, and try to just figure out how things worked um, and, and things that you would do in science class. Because I really felt at the end of the day, about being a cardiovascular surgeon, the best thing that somebody could do would be to care for someone's heart. I didn't realize, flashing forward, that for me that was more probably figurative than literal, <laughs> um, I realized that while I want to encourage female into STEM and different things, I realized that probably wasn't my suit. I'm a little other-brained, and so um, following in the career of doctor was just not where it took me, but I realized that I wanted to be a part of kids' lives, and I wanted to be about a part of heart changing and be able to, to create transplants when necessary, but to really support and engage and fuel the strong hearts in our community that, that already exist, and I realized that I wanted to be a part of kids' lives um, that didn't get to grow up with many examination rooms like I did, um, that didn't get to grow up and play soccer on two teams year-round for the most of my life, and now having a three-year-old that's entering dance, my parents were so good to me because I had no idea how long that took of their life. And I am like, amazing. So now on the parent end, I'm a little petrified. Um, and having the narrative that Graduating high school and going to college is just what we do. That was a narrative. That was just a common reality in my home. There wasn't a question otherwise. And then I I was offered to be able to dream big, to see the world, and to not only see it, but to say I can contribute something to it. And I realized that is what not every kid wakes up getting to do in the morning that's not the opportunity that they have and how do I get to be behind those kids to fuel the the fire that's within their hearts yeah. okay good click one I'm learning this as we go um so some of it is Mother Teresa that I've walked into and to Gandhi and to Martin Luther King and of course the one that paved the way showed the way Jesus These were the inspirations that have challenged me. And I put a little side note of Jesus as a collage because I recognize historical Jesus has lots of different pictures and images of what we all think he looks like or thought he looks like or contextually. So that's why he has a collage more so that hopefully I got a little bit of what everybody kind of thinks about him. Except I didn't put in, um, there was an African-American Jesus and he was the only one that I didn't put in. I I did. 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 And I tried to keep adding in the collage. So I know I'm I'm getting there. I'll have it for the next time. Uh, But recognizing it, it's like, man, they're significant game chasers, justice makers, and obviously Jesus paved that way of the truth and the life, and these people got to follow in, their, in his footsteps of what this looks like. Um, but they've inspired the masses for generations to dream, I think, not just about justice, but to dream bigger than ourselves. I mean, I think that's when I come down and, and read the stories of the scriptures, that's what the prophets called us to, that's what Jesus exemplified, is dreaming bigger than what we think we have the ability to do in ourselves, and living that out in a tangible way. But they also painted acts of service and leadership servant leadership to where they really I think showed us what it means to be people doing things that hold the fabric of our community and communities together, and ways in which that we can le- be lived into by the same breath, why we've known their faces forever, why we've been inspired and challenged and sure in our own personal journeys, I'll be honest, I think in some ways they're a mind trap for us. I think in some ways we begin to build them up um, of what that looks like, what you have to do, what career you have to be in, what position you have to be in, that we almost, I think, have self-expectations that we place on ourselves, or we have community expectations of what we think the community thinks, we want, or our family thinks we want, or the expectations out there, or even I think in some ways struggle with self-deprecation. We don't have the ability to contribute in which like they did. Um, I'm going to hold on to those thoughts because I'm going to bring them back a little bit later, but I think some of those things is this mind trap that we've placed them so in a, a place that we've minimized the gift in which we can bring to the table every day. And so in thinking about relationships, there's one man that comes to mind that I feel like really talks in the essence of relationships and how do we begin to, to have dialogue. And so we had the privilege, actually, um, UCR holding Robert Putnam, and I learned at the City of Riverside Library, too, giving books um, as we connect all around, um, but came to speak. So if anybody knows Robert Putnam, so really, I mean, bowling alone has been his tradition, but um, of really his new book of our kids, The American Dream Dreaming Crisis, fantastic book, but I bring this up because of his researches about relationships and the breakdown of relationships that are taking place. But his case stories, his research, really shows a stark and frightening reality that our society is the most divided than it's ever been. And that scares me a little bit. And when I say divided, I don't mean, I think in the context of what we hear in the news, of the 99% and the 1% divide. I'm talking about the other divide that's taking place amongst educated parents and kids that would live within those environments where they're going to school, they're being read to every night, they're seeing, they're going into dance, into soccer, into other things, and to the families that are living on the edge of economic survival. We have a huge disparity of these two worlds that are taking place beyond the 99% and the 1%. And it's having a very, very systematic default. I think many of us that are educators in the room are seeing this layout within our kids. We have two different classes of kids that are coming through, and one that is shining through, and others that are just trying to to make it and to to survive. And so one of the things I think I want to touch on is this opportunity gap that, that is, that's a pivotal reality to us. And it's happening in our city, in our community, and in our region. And I think while um, I think the great scripture in Jeremiah, where we start with a little bit of a downer, but I'll tell you the beauty is that the people of God always rise up. And the people of God become those bridges and conduits, and that's what I hope to, I think, touch on as as we move forward. But I want to touch on a few things because I think some of the things that Robert Putnam talks about that I think I really um, hit home was he talked about he's like I never placed myself in a family that was rich, so he redefines what rich looks like, and the reality of all of us in this room are rich in comparison to the two to the two divided worlds that we're seeing. Because he talks about a lot of times what kids, we're seeing patterns of kids growing up in rich homes, is that they're in two-parent homes. We're seeing more and more or less kids that are in poverty that aren't growing up with any parents or one parent solely. And so, when I talk about widow, when I think of, when we think about widow, I want us to broaden the idea that widow's a different person in our context, and our in our generation. That in the widow of the times of the Bible, we are talking about lots of wars and civil wars and the loss of husbands. But in this case, our loss is we're talking about a loss into um, imprisonment. Of husbands. We're talking to a loss of women that are just have been single and so I think to expand our view of widows to this broader context of what makes sense in our culture today is that we have women that are doing a lot of things alone and carrying the burden and need support and guidance in a different way in which um, we've been able to give. But more likely kids coming from two-parent homes are 50% more nurtured we now have the study, too, than, than kids with growing up with a single-parent household. And I'm not saying that single-parent households are wrong, so I don't want us to walk away and be like, this isn't. But I'm just saying it's a different struggle. It's a different reality, and and hopefully we can see some of those things. So how does this fit into the world of mentoring? And so in my world of mentoring, um, what we see is that I think in, um, in kind of breaking it down for Robert Putnam um, of this divide is that 9 million kids are going to turn 19 and never have a mentor come into their life. Nine million. How many of us in a room have had somebody give life to them and be a positive role model, a a disciple in their life, a mentor in their life? What I've learned now is that this is truly a a luxury. It's 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 not a norm anymore. I think in many ways, and Robert Putnam would say 20 years ago, it was a norm. Kids were connecting with other people all the time, no matter if they were affluent, if they were middle class, or if they were poor. Because of the gap, because our lives don't cross paths as much, we're seeing less and less of a connection of kids being able to have a mentor, being able to have somebody that connects. But it's not just a connect. What we see, at least in our, in our studies of kids that we serve, um, is that all they know is their three-mile radius, their three-block radius, and all those people in their three-block radius are in the same story that they're in. They're fighting for ends meet. They're on economic survival. They're putting. They're doing everything to keep the lights on and food on the table. And what we're not seeing is them connecting to church, not because they don't want to go to a church, but because they don't have the means and opportunity or time. We're not seeing them anymore in extracurricular activities of sports uh, and due to cost, due to... Who's going to drive them there? Who's going to take them there? Who's going to be the one that's there? So what we're seeing is that this kid that used to, 20 years ago, find a mentor through a coach, through an after-school program, through a church, they're not, they're not showing up to those places. And not because they don't want to, but because the reality is our families are so burdened down that they're not able. And it's kids like Abdul. So I picked my two favorites that are on our wait list. Um, not that we should have favorites, but uh, but, but, um, but Abdul, so he's 12, lives with his mom, um, and he turns to technology, this is what he told us, it's like I watch a lot of TV, because I don't want to go outside in my neighborhood, and I don't have any other friends to play with. Mom's working six jobs, he has no places to go, he has no one to take him, he has no opportunity to, to connect with anybody else, except within his sphere and in the, in the three-block radius or apartment complex that he has. The next is Eddie. Eddie's nine. He's one of six other siblings. Single mom, same thing. She's got four jobs making in meat. Um, and his biggest thing is he's had to share everything from his socks to his bed. And he'd love a mentor because he can call somebody his own thing, his own, have some identity outside of his family, have somebody to rest upon, to guide on, to have a conversation with that isn't about taking care of or being a part of the rest of the family. But what we also know that Robert Putnam highlights is that children watch about five hours of TV a day, on average, not all. My child gets two shows, but there's a difference. I'm, I'm, I'm able to have the brain space because there's two of us in the home t- able to engage, um, but five hours. So you go to school for how many hours? The rest of your day is built to a TV. And so my concern, the thing I pray, and I wrestle with God all the time, is that how do we connect? Because if not, the connection we're going to have. And I say this as a funny joke, but I also say that this is what's guiding our kids. And they're silly and funny, and I keep up on some things that they do, Um, but that for five hours, It's keeping up with the Joneses. It's keeping up with a narrative that's a a dream that's not the dream we would have for our kids. But how do we connect with them when our worlds are not connecting to each other? And so while we have a dilemma, I truly believe that we have an opportunity to rewrite the narrative. And I think that's the beauty of what we've seen in the prophets and the stories and the scriptures is that we've had the people of God rewrite the narrative to say we will no longer stand who are letting the orphan and the widow and the poor be oppressed, we're going, going to come alongside and move things forward. And why we didn't necessarily, why they may not be orphans, Um, most of our kids are making 15000 their families making $15,000 less annually uh, for families of five. We're telling that families that are paying and making everything to keep ends meet so they don't have the broadband to think beyond and dream beyond. We talk about if we can get our kids to think two weeks out. We've succeeded because now they can dream a little bit versus wondering if food is on the table, wondering where they're going to sleep, wondering what's going to be done and why we may have these role models. I really believe that there's a change. And so I'm going to go a little bit um, theoretical for a second and go to the idea that Robert Putnam talks about, but also many other people of, of, of social capital Our city. I just heard Mayor Bailey share the other day with, with a group coming out of the social capital has really been the beauty of what makes Riverside run in many ways, has makes us that We're a big city, but a small town feel that reality is because we're connected, we're relational, we're working face-to-face with each other. And so social capital, so this is the pretty grid. So those of us that are more visually oriented, um, this is my So if we are the blue person, social capital is our network and resources around us. Who is connected to us that can point us in a direction? If I'm a kid that's in middle school and I want to take a photography class, but I don't have a camera, I'm not going to necessarily do it, but maybe somebody in my network does and I can borrow a camera to be able to take the photography class to just experience a new thing. But what we see from the kids that are in this divide and in this opportunity gap is that they don't have in their network anybody else that can really provide that. And you may have your anomaly that come to the teacher and say, do you know someone I can borrow a camera or have a camera to do? But that's the anomaly kid that's coming out to really look into things. But for those of us that are linear thinkers, the next one is for you. So the lady you're thinking, oh, but two boxes are gone. It's all a void now. Um, So social capital, then in the the reality, is the first box on the kind of pointed up is resources. And so our network is our resources. So in our networks are our connections of whether they're resources that someone has talent, someone has time, someone has the ability to connect me to somebody else. And what we're seeing is that the opportunity gap is that our kids that are on the other side have an isolated circle. Their their connection doesn't allow them to see opportunities of jobs, of careers, of learning experiences. The fact that when we put our kids into sports and extracurricular activities, they learn so many soft skills that make them more able to get jobs in the future that our kids don't have when they're not involved in those things. And so the first is resources. The second is the type of people in your network Sorry, kids in the three-block radius? Drugs, people surviving poverty, potential gang affiliations. They're not getting out. They're not getting out of that circle because that's the circle in which they have their networking connections. And then the third box. I didn't put it in my notes. What was the third box?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Those moments moments um, the third box being the the trust that's within those that's what it is so in the sense that you and I may have a trust but maybe you and I don't but they're the only two people in my network so now my network has trimmed down to the basis of someone I have trust with or someone that likes me or someone that receives so you may have a network but if the quality of those relationships aren't strong or aren't healthy um, that's gonna limit their ability so all that to say What does that actually mean? Um, What it means in the next slide is I take us to Isaiah. So that's the social capital theory. But what does that look like for us? And what that looks like for us is the simple prayer that Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Because Isaiah was in a similar, similar situation where in the the, the reign of King Uzziah, they had the most capital. So this is my history side coming out. most capital coming in. They had the most trades coming in. They had so many financial resources. They were thriving as a country. They were huge in money-making, but what they saw was this huge divide wide up where people continued to make the money, were the same people, and the poor just got poorer. And what Isaiah said, in the, in the many a sense, was he was brave enough to say, here I am, and me. Brave enough to say, how do we rewrite this story? Because what we're going to see is wars and violence. We're going to see kids in our in our context slip through the cracks over and over and over again. And so, how do we rewrite the story so that we can see things? And I think saying, "Here I am, send me." And I'm going to talk about I think the the, the prayer from Isaiah of how lovely are the feet of of those in which you bring good news. On a side note, I got to an intercessory prayer session in New York probably 10 years ago, maybe 15, maybe it was pre-Damien, who knows. Now, we had gone to an intercession beforehand, and so I came into... We walked, there were just signs in New York, and there was signs in this building, and I'll tell you, like, I, I must have just, because I was in my 20s and so naive and so something, but it was like, random creepy staircase. We walked creepy staircase into this place, and this is where the per thing was. But I should have walked away, because it was, like, really creepy. It was not as safe, but I was like, okay, this is where it says information, so I'm just going to go and follow. And I meet this woman that literally, there's a group of people all praying around, but she comes up to me and pulls me to the side and says, I've been meaning to talk to you. Yeah, all of your faces, that's how I was. I hope I looked not as scared probably, but I was like, what? She sits me down. So I sit down and she goes directly to my feet and says, where your feet are is your ministry. When you lose sight of that, you lose sight of the people around you to give and to bring hope and to justice wherever your feet are. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and walked away and started just to ponder that. And I think, because the context was I got so trapped within the lives of the, the, the social justice movements of, of Martin Luther King, of what Mother Teresa has done, of how Jesus paved the way, that I got trapped. It had to look like this one thing, but what I forgot is every day where my feet are, I have an ability to bring justice and hope and goodness and love. And how do I stand with that, and how do I become an observer to this. And I think that's one of the things that has always drawn me to the book of Isaiah is he says, here I am, send me. Not me tomorrow, not me in 10 minutes. I'm here and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to bring good news. I'm ready to be the feet of those who bring good news. But I think some of the things that block us is much of what, of, of what I was touching into of, of being Yoda. I think we're waiting to arrive. And I don't say this necessarily as, as, as the church in general, but I say it as when we interview mentors, they're waiting to have arrived at this right place, this right perfect moment, that they have their things together, that they have their self in order to give back and to be a mentor. They're waiting to be Yoda. Or I think that some of the things I've wrestled on is that Timothy, the, the the two books of Timothy were used often in my youth group growing up days. And it was always The story, the narrative was always told. um, When you have yourself right with God, when you have these things in check, this is when you can lay and and connect and give back to somebody else. And what I realized is I'll never have arrived. I'll never be in a place where then I can come along. But I'll tell you what our kids are looking for is to be seen, to be known, and have someone along their side. We don't have to be all together. We have to guide. We have to open doors. And what we have is the wisdom and the social network that they don't have, to connect them to bigger dreams than they wouldn't have dreamed before, to connect them to people that they wouldn't have ever met before, and inspire them in ways in which they thought could never ever be possible. And so I'm reminded by what Nelson Mandela says, once my computer wakes up, um, that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are meant to shine as all children do. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And I'm reminded, and I think maybe it's even my own self-talk, is that we don't have to wait for our arrival. We don't have to wait till we have X, Y, and Z put into place in our life to feel like we can connect with a young person and be a door that changes their life. Oh, good. Beautiful. She's a ninja back there. Um, But I want to invite us with an idea to become tour guides. I read this once in a book that I was reading that the people of God um, to be bringers of justice and hope and goodness, um, that we sometimes get clouded by what that looks like, looking like it needs to take a certain shape, and we forget the ability that we are the best tour guides that have ever created. (laughs) Because what do tour guides do? They're amazing observers. They're taking note of the people and things around them. Everybody ensuring that they're captivated, that they're inspired, that they're in touch, that they're included, that they're participating, they're noticing, and then they're touring them. Look at the details. Look at the touch of every flower that was brought in, the colors of stream, and even how I see you. Like one was streaming out here, but then we moved it across. And all of those factors bring in our tour guides. What a better way for us to tour the people we meet on a daily basis of the love and hope and goodness that's within them and that's around them. When God is in us and with us, we have the ability to inspire everyone that we come alongside and to tour them to an opportunity of hope and of justice and of goodness, to connect them to people they wouldn't have been connected with, to inspire them in ways they wouldn't have believed were possible. That takes a place in us to have the ability to tell that story and can be that story to others. And so I encourage us to think of our role every day, whether you're at work, whether you're walking in the grocery store, that we are guides of goodness and beauty. And I think when we start noticing that, we start noticing the kids in our life that we won't cross paths with. We start noticing the people around us. The kids that I'm serving aren't in my neighborhood that I live in. The kids that we're serving are in central areas and in central parts of our city and our community, and we probably don't cross paths. And so how do we become observant? How do we come alongside so that we can be that tour guide for them? Because I want to use tour guide instead of mentor, because I really mentor people. Because we, gotta, we think we got to be Yoda. We think we got to have all of our stuff together. But how do we come alongside and be a tour guide of hope and of love? Because when I think of Abdul and Eddie, they're just looking to be noticed. Two boys, one a single child, one a child of six. They just want to be noticed. And being mentored for one year, 75% more likely to go to college by having somebody outside of their circle of life connect with them. The path that they're on, because of the areas that they live in, they'll never know those opportunities without somebody else intersecting within their life. And so I leave us with one of my favorite stories of Ryan and Jordan. Jordan is the the young gentleman on the left, now has the coolest fro I've ever seen in my entire life, because it's like two years later, and he's now taller than Ryan. But what was beautiful about this is that Jordan is um, 14 when he comes into our program, and Grandma now has custody of him. Um, He's been living with Mom and his sister for the last 10 years, um, and Mom's been dealing meth out of the house for the last 10 years. Didn't really have much of a a childhood, didn't really have much of an opportunity, comes in and sits in our office for an interview hi not really excited to be there but we're trying to pull things out so tell us about what do you like to do nothing you know what do you, you, you think you're going to graduate because he's starting high school at that point in the next year nobody in my family's graduated high school in three generations so there's no plan because nobody else paved the way within the family so we said what do you like to do couldn't get anything finally get a little bit of football oh, i like football have you ever played have you ever played No. Do you own a football? No. Have you played catch? No. 35% of the kids we serve have never played catch. Simple, simple acts that really develop us in confidence and a bunch of other things. And so we connect him with Ryan. Ryan comes to him the first time that they meet and and says, So I hear you like football. Jordan's like, yeah. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
2: How about you? We come to my CrossFit gym. And we work out. Let's get you to try out for football. Think about it. <laughs> exactly. Think about it. But in that think about where he doesn't seem interested, he's interested because somebody's challenging him to something he's never been challenged for, but now created an opportunity. That opportunity gap decreased just a little bit because what is he going to that he would never have the ability to go to before? A gym. And a gym to train, to meet other people, to into Ryan's world that he would have never had before. So they trained all summer. I told Ryan it was really selfish just because he likes to work out anyhow, so now he's just taking. and it. Jordan tries out for football. So then he tries out for track because all of a sudden he's got confidence. I did one thing and I was able to do it. That's not gonna graduate high school now has two involvements. And those of us that are educators in the room know that if a kid is involved in school, they're more likely now to graduate when we have connection in. So now we have a kid that all of a sudden is, and I, I met them because they were actually um, you were the main speaker for the Riverside County um, mentoring task force. I nominated Ryan and Jordan's like I'm sitting next to Jordan. And he's like, Hey, guess what? I'm going to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. I was like, Of course you are. And he's like, He's like because. I like school. <laughs> and I was like, I know it's shocking, isn't it? Um, and, and so but then he's, telling me, he's like, and guess what? Ryan's taking me to see his friend. And that was kind of like it. And I was like, Ryan, can you fill in the rest of the blanks?
0: <laughs> what are we doing? What, what friend
2: are we seeing? So it just so happens that one of Ryan's closest friends is a professor at UCLA in the engineering department. And this kid that has three generations of non-high school graduates is now touring, having a private tour of UCLA's engineering school because their opportunities were closed, the gap closed. There was a social network around him that invited him into a network that he didn't have before to now have dreams. His sister was the first in their family in three generations to graduate this last year. He will be the second. And that's changing poverty, it's changing a child, it's changing a family, and it'll change our community. One person showed up and just did what they normally do, connected him to the world that he was connected in, and Jordan thrived. And so I leave them today with the opportunity to recognize the strength we have in our network, to recognize that where our feet are is our ministry, to recognize that there are people that are hurting that we don't necessarily see. If we have our tour guide glasses on, we will know. for having me share, but I do want to pray, if I I may, um, for us. You remind us what it means to be brave, what it means to be hopeful. And I pray that you ignite our feet, you ignite our eyes, to see our streets, our city, our grocery stores, our work with new lenses, that we may be tour guides of hope. Maybe we take footsteps that bring justice and goodness and mercy, and we may walk always humbly alongside with you. Thank you. Amen.